Chapter 11, From the Life of St. Therese of Jesus. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Therese of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel, written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. I speak now of those who begin to be the servants of love. That seems to me to be nothing else but to resolve to follow him in the way of prayer, who has loved us so much. It is a dignity so great that I have a strange joy in thinking of it, for servile fear vanishes at once if we, as we ought to be, in the first degree. O Lord of my soul and my good, How is it that when a soul is determined to love thee, doing all it can by forsaking all things in order that it may the better occupy itself with love of God, is it not thy will it should have the joy of ascending at once to the possession of perfect love? I have spoken amiss. I ought to have said, and my complaint should have been, why is it we do not? For the fault is wholly our own that we do not rejoice at once in a dignity so great, seeing that the attaining to the perfect possession of this true love brings all blessings with it. We think so much of ourselves and are so dilatory in giving ourselves wholly to God that His Majesty will not let us have the fruition of that which is so precious but at a great cost. So neither do we perfectly prepare ourselves for it. I see plainly that there is nothing by which so great a good can be procured in this world. If, however, we do what we could, not clinging to anything upon earth, but having all our thoughts and conversation in heaven, I believe that this blessing would quickly be given us, provided we perfectly prepared ourselves for it at once, as some of the saints have done. We think we are giving all to God, but, in fact, we are offering only the revenue or the produce, while we retain the fee simple of the land in our own possession. We resolve to become poor, and it is a resolution of great merit, but we very often take great care not to be in want, not simply of what is necessary, but what is superfluous. Yea, and to make for ourselves friends who may supply us, and in this way we take more pains, and perhaps expose ourselves to greater danger in order that we may want nothing than we did formerly when we had our own possessions and our own power. We thought also that we gave up all desire of honor when we became religious, or when we began the spiritual life and followed after perfection. And yet, when we are touched on the point of honor, we do not remember that we had given it up to God. We would seize it again and take it, as they say, out of his hands, even after we had made him, to all appearance, the Lord of our own will. So is it in everything else. A pleasant way, this of seeking the love of God, We retain our own affections, and yet, while we have that love, as they say, by handfuls. We make no efforts to bring our desires to good effect, or to raise them resolutely above the earth, 
And yet, with all this, we must have many spiritual consolations. This is not well. And we are seeking things that are incompatible with one another. So, because we do not give ourselves up wholly and at once, this treasure is not given wholly and at once to us. May it be the good pleasure of our Lord to give it us drop by drop, though it may cost us all the trials in the world. He showeth great mercy unto him to whom he gives the grace and resolution to strive for this blessing with all his might, for God withholds himself from no one who perseveres. He will, by little and little, strengthen that soul, so that it may come forth victorious. I say resolution because of the multitude of those things which Satan puts before it at first to keep it back from beginning to travel on this road. For he knoweth what harm will befall him thereby. He will lose not only that soul, but many others also. If he who enters on this road does violence to himself with the help of God so as to reach the summit of perfection, such a one, I believe, will never go alone to heaven. He will always take many with him. God gives to him, as to a good captain, those who shall be of his company. Thus, then, the dangers and difficulties which Satan puts before them are so many that they have need not of little, but of a very great resolution and a great grace from God to save them from falling away. Speaking, then, of their beginnings who are determined to follow after this good and to succeed in their enterprise, what I began to say of mystical theology, I believe they call it by that name, I shall proceed with hereafter. I have to say that the labor is greatest at first, for it is they who toil our Lord, indeed giving them strength. In the other degrees of prayer, there is more fruition, although they who are in the beginning, the middle, and the end have their crosses to carry. The crosses, however, are different. They who would follow Christ, if they do not wish to be lost, must walk in the way he walked himself. Blessed labors, even here in this life, so supra-abundantly rewarded, I shall have to make use of a comparison. I should like to avoid it because I am a woman and write simply what I have been commanded. But this language of spirituality is so difficult of utterance for those who are not learned, and such am I. I have, therefore, to seek for some means to make the matter plain. It may be that the comparison will very rarely be to the purpose. Your reverence will be amused when you see my stupidity. I think now I have either read or heard of this comparison, but as my memory is bad, I know not where, nor on what occasion. However, I am satisfied with it for my present purpose. A beginner must look upon himself as making a garden, wherein our Lord may take his delight, but in a soil unfruitful and abounding in weeds. His Majesty roots up the weeds, and has to plant good herbs. Let us then take for granted that this is already done when a soil is determined to give itself to prayer. 
and has begun the practice of it. We have then, as good gardeners, by the help of God, to see that the plants grow, to water them carefully, that they may not die, but produce blossoms, which will send forth much fragrance, refreshing to our Lord, so that he may come often for his pleasure into this garden and delight himself in the midst of these virtues. Let us now see how this garden is to be watered, that we may understand what we have to do, how much trouble it will cost us, whether the gain be greater than the trouble, or how long a time it will take us. It seems to me that the garden may be watered in four ways. By water taken out of a well, which is very laborious, or with water raised by means of an engine and buckets drawn by a windlass. I have drawn it this way sometimes. It is a less troublesome way than the first and gives more water, or by a stream or a brook whereby the garden is watered in a much better way, for the soil is more thoroughly saturated and there is no necessity to water it so often and the labor of the gardener is much less. Or by showers of rain, when our Lord himself waters it, without labor on our part. And this way is incomparably better than all the others of which I have spoken. Now then, for the application of these four ways of irrigation by which the garden is to be maintained, for without water it must fail. The comparison is to my purpose, and it seems to me that by the help of it I shall be able to explain in some measure the four degrees of prayer to which our Lord, of his goodness, has occasionally raised my soul. May he graciously grant that I may speak as to be of some service to one of those who has commanded me to write, whom our Lord has raised in four months to a greater height than I have reached in seventeen years. He prepared himself better than I did, and therefore is his garden without labor on his part, irrigated by those four waters, though the last of them is only drop by drop. But it is growing in such a way that soon, by the help of our Lord, he will be swallowed up therein, and it will be a pleasure to me, if he finds my explanation absurd, that he should laugh at it. Of those who are beginners in prayer, we may say that they are those who draw the water up out of the well, a process which, as I have said, is very laborious, for they must be wearied in keeping the senses recollected. And this is a great labor, because the senses have been hitherto accustomed to distractions. It is necessary for beginners to accustom themselves to disregard what they hear or see, and to put it away from them during the time of prayer. They must be alone, and in retirement think over their past life. Though all must do this many times, beginners as well as those more advanced, all, however, must not do so equally, as I shall show hereafter. Beginners at first suffer much, because they are not convinced that they are penitent for their sins, and yet they are, because they are so sincerely resolved on serving God. They must strive to meditate on the life of Christ, and the understanding is wearied thereby. Thus far we can advance of ourselves, that is, by the grace of God. For without that, 
As everyone knows, we never can have one good thought. This is the beginning to draw water up out of the well. God grant that there may be water in it. That, however, does not depend on us. We are drawing it and doing what we can towards watering the flowers. So good is God that when, for reasons known to his majesty, perhaps for our greater good, it is his will that the well should be dry. He himself preserves the flowers without water. We, like good gardeners, doing what lies in our power and makes our virtues grow. By water, here I mean tears, and if there be none, then tenderness and inward feeling of devotion. What then will he do here who sees that for many days he is conscious only of aridity, disgust, dislike, and so great an unwillingness to go to the well for water that he would give it up altogether if he did not remember that he has to please and serve the Lord of the garden? If he did not trust that his service was not in vain and did not hope for some gain by labor so great as that by lowering the bucket into the well so often and drawing it up without water in it. It will happen that he is often unable to move his arms for that purpose or to have one good thought working with the understanding as drawing water out of the well. What then once more will the gardener do now? He must rejoice and take comfort and consider it as the greatest favor to labor in the garden of so great an emperor. And as he knows that he is pleasing the Lord in that matter, and his purpose must not be to please himself but the Lord, let him praise the Lord greatly for the trust the Lord has in him. For the Lord sees that without any recompense, He is taking so much care of that which has been confided to him. Let him help the Lord to carry the cross and to let him think that the Lord carried it all the Lord's life long. Let him not seek his kingdom here, nor ever intermit his prayer. And so let him resolve, if this aridity should last even his whole life long, never to let Christ fall down beneath the cross. The time will come when he shall be paid once for all. Let him have no fear that his labor is in vain. He serves a good master whose eyes are upon him. Let him make no account of evil thoughts, but remember that Satan suggested them to St. Jerome also in the desert. These labors have their reward I know it, for I am one who underwent them for many years. When I drew but one drop of water out of this blessed well, I considered it was a mercy of God. I know these labors are very great and require, I think, greater courage than many others in this world. But I have seen clearly that God does not leave them without a greater recompense, even in this life, for it is very certain that in one hour during which our Lord gave me to taste his sweetness, all the anxieties which I had to bear when persevering in prayer seemed to me ever afterwards perfectly rewarded. I believe that it is our Lord's good pleasure frequently in the beginning and at times in the end to send these torments 
and many other incidental temptations to try those who love him and to ascertain if they will drink the chalice and help him to carry the cross before he entrusts them with his great treasures. I believe it to be for our good that his majesty should lead us by this way so that we may perfectly understand how worthless we are for the graces which he gives afterwards are of a dignity so great that he will have us by experience know our wretchedness before he grants them that it may not be with us as it was with Lucifer. What canst thou do, O my Lord, that is not for the greater good of that soul which thou knowest to be already thine, and which gives itself up to thee to follow thee whithersoever thou goest, even to the death of the cross, and which is determined to help thee to carry that cross and to leave thee alone with it? He who shall discern this resolution in himself has nothing to fear. No, no. Spiritual people have nothing to fear. There is no reason why he should be distressed who is already raised to so high a degree as this of wishing to converse in solitude with God and to abandon the amusements of the world. The greater part of the work is done. Give praise to his majesty for it and trust in his goodness who has never failed those who love him. Close the eyes of your imagination and do not ask why he gives devotion to this person in so short a time and none to me after so many years. Let us believe that all is for our greater good. Let his majesty guide us whithersoever he will. We are not our own but his. He shows us mercy enough when it is his pleasure we should be willing to dig in his garden and to be so near the Lord of it. He certainly is near to us. If it be his will that these plants and flowers should grow, some of them when he gives water we may draw from the well, others when he gives none. What is that to me? Do thou, O Lord, accomplish thy will. Let me never offend thee, nor let my virtues perish. If thou hast given me any, it is out of thy mere goodness. I wish to suffer, because thou, O Lord, hast suffered. Do thou, in every way, fulfill thy will in me. And may it never be the pleasure of thy majesty that a gift so high a price as that of thy love be given to people who serve thee only because of the sweetness they find thereby. It is as much to be observed, and I say so because I know by experience, that the soul which begins to walk in the way of mental prayer with resolution and is determined not to care much, neither to rejoice nor to be greatly afflicted, whether sweetness and tenderness fail it, or our Lord grants them, has already travailed a great part of the road. Let that soul, then, have no fear that it is going back, though it may frequently stumble, for the building has begun on a firm foundation. It is certain that the love of God does not consist in tears, nor in the sweetness and tenderness which we, for the most part, desire, and with which we console ourselves. 
but rather in serving him in justice, fortitude, and humility. That seems to me to be a receiving rather than a giving of anything on our part. As for poor women, such as I am, weak and infirm of purpose, it seems to me to be necessary that I should be led on through consolations, as God is doing now, so that I might be able to endure certain afflictions which it has pleased His Majesty I should have. But when the servants of God, who are men of weight, learning, and sense, make so much as I see they do, whether God gives them sweetness and devotion or not, I am disgusted when I listen to them. I do not say that they ought not to accept it and make much of it when God gives it, because when he gives it, his majesty sees to it to be necessary for them. But I do say that they ought not to grow weary when they have it not. They should then understand that they have no need of it, and be masters of themselves when his majesty does not give it. Let them be convinced of this. There is a fault here. I have had an experience of it, and I know it to be so. Let them believe that it is an imperfection. They are not advancing in liberty of spirit, but shrinking like cowards from the assault. It is not so much to beginners that I say this, though I do insist upon it because it is of great importance to them that they should begin with this liberty and resolution. As to others, of whom there are many, who make a beginning but never come to the end, and that is owing, I believe, in great measure, to their not having embraced the cross from the first. They are distressed, thinking they are doing nothing. The understanding ceases from its acts, and they cannot bear it. Yet, perhaps at that very time the will is feeding and gathering strength, and they know it not. We must suppose that our Lord does not regard these things, for though they seem to us to be faults, yet they are not. His majesty knoweth our misery and natural vileness better than we do ourselves. He knoweth that these souls long to be always thinking of him and loving him. It is this resolution that he seeks in us. The other anxieties we afflict upon ourselves serve to no other end but to disquiet the soul, which, if it be unable to derive any profit in one hour, will by them be disabled for four. This comes most frequently from bodily indisposition. I have had a very great experience in this matter, and I know it is true for I have carefully observed it and discussed it afterwards with spiritual persons. For we are so wretched that this poor prisoner of a soul shares in the miseries of the body. The changes of the seasons and the alterations of the humors very often compel it, without fault of its own, not to do what it would, but rather to suffer in every way. Meanwhile, the more we force the soul on these occasions, the greater mischief and the longer it lasts. Some discretion must be used in order to ascertain whether ill health be the occasion or not. The poor soul must not be stifled. Let those who thus suffer understand that they are ill. A change should be made in the hour of prayer, and oftentimes that change should be continued for some days. 
let souls pass out of this desert as they can. For it is very often the misery of one that loves God to see itself living in such wretchedness, unable to do what it would, because it has to keep so evil a guest as the body. I spoke of discretion, because sometimes the devil will do the same work. And so it is not always right to omit prayer when the understanding is greatly distracted and disturbed, nor to torment the soul to the doing of that which is out of its power. There are other things then to be done, exterior works, as of charity and spiritual reading, though at times the soul will not be able to do them. Take care, then, of the body for the love of God, because at many other times the body must serve the soul, and let recourse be had to some recreations, holy ones, such as conversation or going out into the fields, as the confessor shall advise. Altogether, experience is a great matter, and it makes us understand what is convenient for us. Let God be served in all things. His yoke is sweet, and it is of great importance that the soul should not be dragged, as they say, but carried gently, that it may make great progress. So then, I come back to what I advised before, and though I repeat it often, it matters not. It is of great importance that no one should distress himself on account of aridities or because his thoughts are restless and distracted. Neither should he be afflicted thereat if he would attain to liberty of spirit and not be always in trouble. Let him begin by not being afraid of the cross, and he will see how our Lord will help him to carry it, how joyfully he will advance and what profit he will derive from it all. It is now clear, if there is no water in the well, that we at least can put none into it. It is true we must not be careless about drawing it when there is any in it, because at that time it is the will of God to multiply our virtues by means thereof.